yo, yo, it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation. I am Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we're the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. Today, we have with us in studio, isn't that great? We have Brittany Cooley. Brittany is going to share what it means to be a survivor of suicide. She's going to share with you what it means to have loved ones who suffer from mental illness, uh, she is a true overcomer. She has a book that's already out, uh, Strength Personified. It's a personal story from tragedy to triumph. She has a book that's coming out because you're going to love the first one. Then you're going to want to read the next one. And her next book that's coming out is a series. So, so it's kind of like part two, Strength Personified. But this one is from heartache to healing. It's a personal story from heartache to healing. So Brittany, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I'm so glad that we connected. This is great. Me this too. Really great. Me too. I'm so grateful. We'll give Jameson a shout out. Jameson what? reached out to me and then <laughs> couldn't stop talking about you. And I'm like, wow, that girl sounds like an overcomer, you know? So uh, super excited to have you here. And uh, I think that it would just be appropriate to dive right in and yeah. as much as you're willing to share uh, from your story of book one, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just... I already alluded to it. You know, we're talking about overcoming uh, what it means to have loved ones who suffer from mental illness. And maybe you could take us back there to when you were a young girl and, and what you were dealing with growing up. Yeah. Um, I have a lot. Uh, I am a very complex person. There's so much. Um, when I would tell the story before I wrote my book um, to people, they'd be like, I don't believe you. That's like a lifetime movie. And it and it truly is. But it, and it, sometimes I get so caught up in it, I don't realize that that actually was my life. Like it, it is a story. It is a book. I think that someday it will be a movie. Like I, I truthfully do. Um, but it is my life. And so, um, the book goes through, I, I talk about it. It's a narrative. So I literally just share as I experienced. Um, and I always start what anytime I go speak anywhere, I always start talking about my mom. And I think we, you know, at the dinner the other night we did, um, before I tell you my story and how I got to where I am today, I have to tell you about her because she was a pivotal part of the book and in, in my story of my childhood. Um, you know, she was very successful when I was little, um, the early nineties, she was divorced my dad in 95 and, um, she was single independent woman, executive director of a nonprofit organization. She traveled and spoke all over the country, Washington, DC in front of thousands of people. She wrote grants for the government. Um, she was beautiful. She was very musically talented. She was theatrically talented. She was creative. She was a good cook. She was clean. I mean, she was literally the whole package. She was smart. She was a beautiful writer. Um, and read all the time. So she had the the literature, but she was also brilliant with math and science and computers were just coming out at that time. And she just immersed herself in learning email and Windows 92 or whatever it was yeah, that, you know. Right. Um, I remember the computers taught, back then had such a large back. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah, really yeah. heavy. Yeah. They like weighed more than I do, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but she, she was like, she taught so many people so many things and people that know her, knew her back then, um, they always have very fond memories of my mom. And there's always something that stuck with them about her, something that she shared with them um, that helped them or taught them something. Um, she is 
one of the most intelligent people that a lot of people wouldn't knew her back then claim to ever have known. Mm -hmm. Um, so this, and trying to paint you this picture of this, like literally like probably if social media was a thing back then, she would have been like on the cover of like all these magazines and had a million followers because of like her housing techniques. Like she was the whole package. Um, but she obviously struggled internally. She obviously was very overwhelmed. She was very stressed. She did not practice self-care. Um, and she, you know, it, it kind of all caught up to her and she had a nervous breakdown in 97. Um, and after that, we had this big, beautiful five bedroom home. She was not only just a great person in general and good at everything. She was an awesome mom. Like she cut the little sandwiches into shapes and put them, you know, and she sprinkled glitter on my pillow from the tooth fairy and went outside and shredded carrots and fed rain, like put, put Santa hoof prints and, or, and reindeer hoof prints in the snow, like wow. after Santa, like the woman was like, she had different handwritings for every character. I mean, wow. she literally like was the epitome of a fairy tale mom. Like yeah. I had everything I ever wanted. I had a bedroom for like where I slept. And then I had like an entire playroom that was probably as big as like this area yeah. full of literally everything any kid would ever want when they in the early 90s right um i had a, i had it all we had a pool i mean it was like the perfect life it really was um and then it was just like one day i woke up and it was all gone mm. um she had a nervous breakdown i don't there's a lot of rumors about what happened to her through her breakdown. I don't know if any of them are true. I don't like to talk about rumors. I like to know facts. And yeah, I was little at then. What, what happened to her to cause the breakdown? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. There's, you know, her, her company was losing money and she was really trying to like figure that out. I know that the was company fact, she but, owned. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was stressful for her, but there's, you know, I, I don't know if there's a relationship thing. I, I'm not sure, but um, she, she literally broke one day. She was like super mom. And the next day she was literally laying in bed and didn't get up and didn't move. And, and was just broken and crying and I'd never seen her that broken before and I was so confused I was like well what's like are you sick like what's wrong yeah like, I never saw her cry I never saw her struggle or she had a temper for sure she got she got my grandfather's temper but she never showed any sign of weakness until one day she woke up and she just wasn't herself anymore you know Brittany if I could you know one of the goals that I have for this podcast um because you know um depression and, and different suicide attempts and things such as that has touched our lives personally. And one of the things I hope to achieve with this podcast today is that um, it's so easy for us to understand if somebody gets in a car accident and they're in bed, you know, because maybe they're in a cast and, you know, whatever, their arms in a sling, you know, all those different things. So we're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But we can't see this invisible thing that is like a depression or a nervous breakdown or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so then we're like, you know, what's wrong with you? Get out of bed, right? You know, and, um, you know, I would just like our audience to understand you just painted a wonderful picture of a, a person that was just like, you know, somebody I would aspire to be like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm thinking to myself, geez, how could I be a better grandparent now that I'm a grandparent? Or if I was still raising a young child, I would want to be like some of those things you described. But I now we're, know we're about to turn a corner where that isn't somebody that we want to be. And, you know, how can we um, how can we have more empathy, uh, you know, as a result of this podcast to just understand, you know, you may not be able to see the cast, but there's something going on there. And it's something that's victimizing the person as well as impacting the ones that love that person, you know. So um, I just wanted to say that, you know, for yeah. our audience, for our listeners, for sure. guys, you know, mental illness is a real thing. Um, and the people that get it. Uh, they sure didn't choose it. 
right? So, right. yeah. Um, but uh, please continue to tell us uh, more about, you know, what happened as a result of that breakdown. And Yeah. So we ended up losing our home. We moved into my grandparents' home, which my grand my grandmother was my mom. Like my mom was my, like, she was the creative magical one that was just, you know, that's definitely where my mom got that stuff from. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a bad experience living with my grandparents. They were wonderful. They were my favorite people. Um, but it was hard going from having two rooms and a pool and all the stuff to living in one room with my mom and, you know, like having to switch schools and like do all this stuff. It, it, it was really difficult. And I didn't understand, like, why is all of her stuff in storage? Why is her piano in storage? Why isn't she playing the piano every night? Like what is going, you know? Um, it was a really hard transition for me. And then, um, one day I got off the bus, um, it was in January, it was cold it was Pennsylvania. So it's cold. Um, I got off the bus and my grandmother looked mortified. Like she was horrified to see me walk in the door. And I was like, what's mm -hmm. the problem? Um, you know, I just, she's like, where's your mom? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I just got off the bus like I always do. And yeah, I don't know. And she was like, well, your mom is okay. And then, you know, she stopped herself because I was little, I was um, seven. Uh, and she's like, oh, uh, okay, just go up, go do your homework and I'll come check in on you and we'll make a snack and whatever. And I was just really confused. I was like, I don't know, where is my mom? Because she was here, you know what I mean? Like she's not, you know, so she was supposed to pick me up from school that day. Instead, she borrowed my, she broke into the safe that held her medication that she was taking for her depression, anxiety, um, broke into the safe at my grandmother's house where they kept it because they kept her meds locked up. Um, but it was open for some reason and she got into it um, and she took my grandma's car at the time and drove off and overdosed on both bottles of her medications and attempts to commit suicide. Um, so, so they she kept just her meds missing. locked up because uh, of addiction or because they knew that she was just that off, that they didn't trust her? You know, yeah, it was of... a recommendation from the doctors. When okay. she went to her doctors, they you said, you know, keep the meds locked up just because she is acting so depressed. And, yeah. you know, and that's typically the practice. I worked in psych for a long time, I worked in adult behavioral health for 10 years. Um, and we always recommend that anybody that's experiencing any kind of hopelessness or loss, keep their meds locked up, keep any weapons locked up, keep, you know, because you don't know. And my mom was so, she was displaying such bizarre behavior for who she was that they were, I'm assuming they were concerned. This is, again, this isn't a conversation I have. I just, I have a big understanding of the field mm -hmm. and the practice and, and mental illness in general itself now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, you know, I asked that question, uh, cause you know, we have a lot of people listening and, yeah, sometimes we don't get the instructions as to what we should be doing, yeah. right? And, and you know, that's that's an important concept to wrap your mind around. If you have somebody that's suffering from depression, if you have somebody that suffers with addiction, you know, then there are certain yeah, things that absolutely. should be locked up. You know, there's certain things that shouldn't even be in the home if you got the addiction Correct. thing. But if there's medication that's necessary for someone suffering from depression, it is a good idea to keep it locked up and the weapons locked up. So, you know, this is, mm -hmm. it's just good. Like, as you say, it was locked up, but then she got in the safe and, uh, you know, it's, it's good for everybody to understand why it should be locked up, you know, so. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um. So my grandma noticed that the safe was open and her car was gone and I came home from school. So she clearly never picked me up. So she, you know, put two and two together and sent the whole town out to look for my mom, uh, EMTs and police and the volunteer fire company was like looking everywhere because nobody knew where she went. And this is like not, there were no cell phones or, you know, this was in the early 90s. So this was 97. So there was nothing like that. Um, especially not in Herrickville, right. Pennsylvania, you know, you know where that is. Um, so they eventually found small the car. Town. Yeah. <laughs> not even a town. Right. Four corners. That's it. No stoplights, no store. Okay. Like yeah. four corners and two stop signs. That's it. <laughs> yeah. uh, not a great place to have an emergency. Okay. Yeah. Right. right exactly. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and so I, 
found out later that that's what had happened, but they found her. Um, they found the car pulled over on the road in the middle of the night. Was, I think it was like seven or eight and it was dark. Um, and she was face down in the snow. She had overdosed. She'd taken two bottles and she was pronounced dead on the scene in 97. Um, they put her in the ambulance and they started to like pump her stomach and do compressions or whatever. And, and she, they brought her back. They got her, wow. they brought her back. Um, but the person that woke up in that ambulance, that was not. Like she went from very super mom to very depressed to a completely different person. Like not the same. She looked like my mom and she sounded like my mom, but she was no longer there. There was. Do you think that there was not just a breakdown, which obviously we went from the breakdown to suicide, which is even more of a breakdown, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's the next step. Uh, Do you think that there was any physical, uh, results like you know such as brain damage from from that that maybe made her less of the mom that you yeah first for sure um there's a lot of factors in that and that's like another a lot of things that were said and accusations were made that i don't know i was too little i know i wasn't a part of it now i want answers and they're just not there aren't any now um but because i didn't i don't know even what my mom told me after that if any of that was true you know i just i I don't know um but she overdosed on two medications that should not be prescribed together um they do completely different things within the brain um not Mm -hmm. that i'm a scientist but it was um she overdosed on anitriptyline and prozac and those two things should never be they're both antidepressants but they do different things in the brain differently so them in small doses together can really screw somebody up Mm -hmm. but she took both bottles so that was a lot of people have said like or you know, guess that that's likely what kind of caused the, the, the switch to kind of turn over to the person that she began to embody. Yeah. Interestingly, I I mean, I seem to remember in the nineties, you know, Prozac, I don't know when it was invented, but, you know, being popularized and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, the next, the next newsflash were how many people were committing suicide as a result of Prozac. Mm-hmm. So now you're yeah. mixing another one that shouldn't be right. when Prozac alone was already bad enough, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of antidepressants. And that's why there's always a gamble with antidepressant medications because, you know, I'm certainly no medical doctor or anything like that, but I have enough personal experience with them myself and also with my mom and my professional career that, you know, they're the first side effect on every bottle is can cause increased feelings suicide. of depression and yeah. suicidal ideation. Right. It's like, what no. is, yeah. what do you mean? Like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense, but no. it's true yeah. because everyone's brain is different and everyone has different triggers and stuff. And some things work for some people and some people don't. A lot of people have year, it takes years to find right the, the right medication that works for them. Yeah. And like to, for people to, to stick it out that long to feel better, like oh, that's some strength, you know? Yeah. Well, disclaimer on this, I'm no medical doctor. I just love to try everything natural first. Right. Um, And so if if somehow, you know, moving more, such as exercise, if somehow eating differently, if somehow uh, approaching uh, an attitude of gratitude with your mindset and just, you know, trying to have a paradigm shift in your life can be helpful. Uh, then I would much prefer that for anyone I love over a bottle that says, yeah, this is to help you uh, not want to kill yourself, but it may make you want to kill yourself. It might actually make you feel that way. I hate rolling the dice like that. (laughs) Suck it up. Like what? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's crazy. Um, You know, I think our medical profession has to come a long way. Uh, There was another turning point with your mother where she's still caring for you so to speak you know you're with mm-hmm. your grandmother i believe at this time yeah and then uh, 
what happens next that uh, I think that this had a huge impact on your life. And, and by the way, I, I love the fact that your story starts with the story of your mother, right? Because our, our story is not our own, right? You know, we're made up of all kinds of different things. We got genetics, we got the experiences in our life, we got the people that are major influences in our life. And, you know, when somebody says, who are you? It's like, well, I'm all this, right? You know, so, um, yeah. So if you could, you know, tell us about this next uh, next little chapter with your mom, if you would. Yeah, sure. So uh, move forward a couple of, a year. It was probably a year later. Um, she was doing a little better. And my grandmother, my grandfather, and my father all got together and decided that it would be a good idea for her to take me on a vacation for a weekend. They all agreed. She wanted to go to New Jersey to visit one of her friends that she met in um, her rehab that she had to go to after her attempt mm -hmm. um but she lived in new jersey she wanted to go see her friend was it a rehab and, or a bsu well it was a, it was a bsu they, but i mean obviously the rehabilitator yeah. yeah, mental yeah. state you yeah. know i get it but i just for i didn't want to call it like a psych ward a behavioral health center i guess because yeah. yeah. i've worked in one and everyone's like oh you work in the nut house like don't call it that first of all no right, 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 right. but back then it was like back then it was very you know like back then mental health was like padded walls and straight jackets and you're nuts like it yeah. wasn't what it is today so that's come a long ways yeah right the shock um, therapy was so they literally had to send her like away like she yeah. went um yeah. far away uh so she met someone from new jersey and they stayed in touch and they were good friends uh they're helping each other you know um and so they agreed to let her go for a weekend let us go for a weekend they thought it'd be really good linda's doing a little better she's getting out more Brittany, you know they need to go because we hadn't been on a vacation we hadn't done anything and this we went on vacation three times a year mm -hmm. each Disney, everything. And then, so we hadn't done anything. So they thought it'd be really good for us. Well, <clears throat> my mom hadn't got an inch and took a mile. So she picked me up on my last day of third grade. I knew we were going on a trip and I get in the car and I'm like, so excited. She has all my bags packed already. And she's like, so change of plans. We're going to go to Pensacola, Florida instead. And like at that point, third grade, not the greatest at geography yet. I think that was fourth where you learned that yeah. i'm not sure because i didn't I'm know i'm still learning it <laughs> uh, but i knew that like new jersey and florida were not right like that's they're not neighbors significant <laughs> difference yeah yeah and i was like does grandma know because i knew that like grandma was like what she explained it to me was she's like you know how your mom takes care of you and she's your mom and and i yeah and she's like well i'm still your mom's mom so i'm taking care of her and mm -hmm. like so mm -hmm. you know so i you understood the chain of yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. 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 And that she, you know, she needed her mom, just mm. like I need my mom. And I was like, oh, it makes sense. Okay. It was like, it wasn't weird to me that my grandma was managing my mom's life, right. <laughs> which at this time it kind of would be. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so, so I was like, did you tell grandma? And she's like, no, no, it's, it's going to be a secret. It's going to be really fun. So I was like, okay. And, you know, we got in the car, we got to North Carolina and we checked into the hotel and this is where I knew it was going to be bad. She called my grandma from the hotel phone, said, yep, we made it. We're here safe. And she looked at me, she put the phone down and she like did this, like quiet. And she's like, you know, oh, how's Claire? Claire's great. Yep. We're mm -hmm. here in New Jersey. I'm again, mom's lying. And I was like, always told like, you never lie. Like that was something I've been taught since I was born. Like lying is like the worst sin you could ever do. Right. And you never lie to anybody. So I was so confused. I was like, why are you lying to grandma? Like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And it was just, I, she had this very cold look in her eye. And I knew that I didn't know how bad it was going to be, but I knew that uh, this was not good. How old were you um, at the time? I was eight. Eight. Eight years old. Mom's lying to Graham. Mm -hmm. Things are starting to get a little scary and a little dark. Hundreds of miles away yeah. from home at this yeah. point. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So we ended up 
and I'll just like, I mean, I could tell the story for four hours, but I won't for the right. sake of time. Right. And people don't want to listen to that long. But I mean, we ended up being in Pensacola, Florida for five years. Um, she never got a job. She ran through her disability. She never got it renewed because she became very religiously preoccupied um, and fixated on God telling her what to do. These are delusions. These were not any kind of God that I believe in or follow um, would tell anybody to do. Um, she we got wrapped up in this evangelical biblical revival um, and it completely brainwashed her and it just fed into her illness 100%. So God told her not to get a job. God told her doctors of the devil. God told her um, that he was going to take care of us and provide for us. And we ran out of money. She blew through her savings, ran out of that. She wouldn't get her disability renewed. She cashed in her retirement, $26,000. And then that, that, that was only three of those, the, that was only two and a half years of those five. And then eventually, like, no, all we had, our TV was shut off, our internet was shut off. Well, there wasn't internet, but our TV was shut off, our lights were shut off, like everything was shut off. And then we got an eviction notice on our door. And at this time, I'm 11. Mm -hmm. I was 11. And I was like, Mom, what are you going to do? Like, we're not going to have anywhere to live. You know, like, but, and mm -hmm. she's like, well, God will take care of us. She always said that. She literally threw everything we had, the, everything I owned, everything I loved. So I still have emotional attachment, like to material things today. Like I have issues with that still. Like I have a lot of healing and growth to still do. I've done a lot, but I've got a long ways to go. But like mm -hmm. every, like, and I'm very sentimental and like, I love, I'm very sentimental and I keep things that remind me of good things. She get, got rid of everything, every picture, every, she threw it all in the dumpster. Yeah. And we, we packed our car and the six o'clock in the morning, the day the sheriff was supposed to come evict us, we got in the car and we drove. And then we lived in the car for three years. <laughs> lived in your car for three years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. Three years. That's amazing. We spent um, weeks without a decent meal. Like I would eat ketchup packets I stole from restaurants or I'd steal cans of potted meat from Walmart um, because they were, I, ju I knew stealing was wrong, but I justified it because I was so hungry. And if it was under a dollar there, I remember they were 88 cents. I was like, if I'm stealing something that's 88 cents, like it's okay because mm -hmm. it's not expensive. Yeah. And I'm not like, it's not makeup or, you know, nail polish or something that right. like normal yeah. 11, 12, 13, 14 year old girls would want, you know, as right. food because I was yeah. starving. And I, I just felt, and ever since I watched my mom have this huge decline over, the, over these years, I always had hope that she would come back, right? She would mm -hmm. just wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm all better. You know, I, when you see someone that is so amazing and magical and perfect and like you and and you see them go from that to what she was then so delusional and and sick yeah you just you know like how what happened like what how does that happen to somebody and if they were that before they could be that again mm -hmm. okay. so i just you wanted her to come I, back i was just convinced that if i just could take care of her for long enough i could protect her for long enough she would make a comeback and she would come back and everything would be okay. Then maybe we could go home and we would have a house again and it would be, everything would be fine. Yeah. But it just continued to progressively get worse. So three years on the streets, mm -hmm. eating ketchup packets, living in the car, stealing can of meat uh, from Walmart, 88 cent can of meat. Splitting, get, finding a dollar on the ground and splitting the four chicken nuggets that came from Burger King. And, and, and that's the kind of like mom, but, and that's another thing like, yeah, I know it's terrible and there was a lot of neglect and we'll get to the part that's really bad, but 
she never, she never stopped loving me. Like I never didn't feel her love because mm-hmm. even like when we were so hungry and she, she, I could tell she felt bad, but like when we would get the four chicken nuggets and that was all we had to eat for the week, like she would give me three of them mm-hmm. and eat one. Mm-hmm. So she never lost that motherly love for me. Yeah. Um, that's a good and memory. So, yeah. And I mean, like, it, it's, it's a sad, horrible memory, it's awful, but, it's, uh, but it's good to use. She it was still the best she could be for me at the mm-hmm. time. It wasn't good or even okay, but it was her best. And in her mind, I see now today, like in her mind, she was doing what she really legitimately believed she had to do. Yeah. I don't ever believe it. And until the, the end of our journey in Florida, I never believed that she didn't ever loved me and she meant to do all those awful things and never believed that but I felt this I became parentified at a very young age I felt like I needed to protect her like I needed to take mm-hmm. care of her uh, you know CYS was on her but you said parentified yeah that's a good word that's mm-hmm. a good word for our our audience you know uh you know it's interesting how much you've uh grown to understand yourself you, you even just talked about it unusual attachment to things you know because i didn't have things so now i have an unusual attachment to things yeah when i lose something i lose my mind because i'm like i'll never be able to have enough like i'm still like that little homeless britain living in the back of a car sometimes like she comes out and she's like but -hmm. what if you run out of money you're never gonna be able to replace that yeah and then you just said a word though parentified like it's it's good for us to understand that even about ourselves or to see it are, are we having this impact on our kids do we know someone who's having an impact on their kids uh, your word parentified, that means that uh, when the children have to take responsibility for the adults, right? You know, yeah. or they're given they're given adult responsibilities without parental guidance. That's yeah. right. You know, yeah. nobody put that on me. She didn't put that on me. I just became it. I became her like I I felt like I had to protect her. I didn't know what was wrong with her. I knew it was something and nobody I didn't understand mental illness at the time. I don't think anybody did. But I was a kid. Um, but I knew that there was something wrong with her. And I knew that I had to take care of her because if I didn't, and if I left her, like I could have easily done, I could have found the 75 cents that I found when I we were looking in parking lots or on the beach. And I could have put those quarters into a payphone because I could have easily called my dad anytime. And they would have been right there to get me because they, the, you know, we're off gallivanting and having this adventure experience, right? Um, getting all my street smarts in so you know i have that for the rest of my life while my family is losing their minds and worried sick and where you are wondering where we are and making phone calls and they came to florida looking for us and like i mean it it, they went through complete hell during this time as well um so any any moment if i called they like they had state police like state troopers up in this area like tapping their phone lines to see if we called so they could like trace our calls yeah like they were like on it they were all a distraught mess um so i could have easily at any point thrown those quarters in the payphone and called my dad and that i would have been completely rescued and taken care of i knew my dad has a beautiful home he built before i was born he still has it today he's a very hardworking man he's very good with money i'm not saying like we're loaded but he is very well like you know no sure. we weren't poor like we weren't super rich but was never poor i never went without anything yeah. you know before my family you know my family has I, I there was I knew what I could go back to. Yeah, so tell us. But I this knew time, uh, that I didn't. I didn't want to come without my mom, and I knew she wouldn't come. Yeah. I so how did it? Her. How did it come to an end with your mother? Yeah. So um, I woke up. Well, so the the straw before the straw that broke the camel's back right. was um, 
you know, we had been living in the car and again, I had one outfit, I had one pair of underwear. I'd have to wash in the sink at Barnes and Noble. We spent a lot of times in Barnes and Noble bookstores, which is where I came, where I initially thought like, I'm going to write a book about this someday. Cause this is some crazy stuff. Like I knew it was crazy, yeah. right? Like yeah. I was smart enough to know that. Yeah. Um, mind you this whole time, I'll throw in there that I did not attend school from fourth through eighth grade. I did not go. She never enrolled me. Um, when somebody asked her about it, why well, she was homeschooling me, but I did not go. I did not attend school. So I'm 13. I'm supposed to be in eighth grade. I'm, I have a third grade level of understanding. However, Barnes and Noble bookstores saved me because I read everything. Yeah. We spent as hot in Florida. So we spend time in these big stores. There's comfy chairs and there's they 24 hours. Or no, but no. like in the morning they opened at like 10 and they were open until like 10 or 11 at night. So okay. it was a really good. And then we'd go find a parking lot to sleep in. Yeah. Um, but it was a really nice environment to sit in and nobody really ever bothered us. You know, I'd sit in the kid's corner with a bunch of books all day and I just read and read and read and read. read. I love to read. And that's kind of how I like, I think was able to go back to school and like do it because <laughs> I read everything. Um, but I remember sitting in that bookstore thinking, I am going to have a book on the shelf someday. Like that's, that became my goal when I was in that, you know, and it's cool because my book is on, well, it's not in the stores, but it's on barnesandwell.com. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? right. Um, oh, but cool. I, you know, it had been years of this, you know, eating, like finding food in garbage cans in parks and, you know, not having showers or places to sleep or, you know, I mean, it, this is years of this. And then eventually one day my mom was like, okay, I have people that are going to watch you for a little while so I can go up to Mount Zion and talk to God. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be, I knew immediately. I was like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about lady, but this is not, this, I don't, I don't, who, what, like, was it somebody from church? Like, mm -hmm. you know, cause we, I did have friends from the church that we went to cause we went seven days a week, but you know, she wouldn't let me talk to them cause they were, they were the devil or the antichrist or something, you know, she would make something up to make sure that I was isolated in the fact that I could not have close relationships with people to divulge information that would rip us apart or mm -hmm. get me taken away. Because mm -hmm. we were, I was dodging CYS caseworkers and cops and people, they were looking for us. And I lied to probably four caseworkers. I made up this story about who I was and who my mom was and what we were doing. Like mm -hmm. I became very good at it because I, it threatened our relationship and it threatened, like, it was like my egg that I had to protect and mm -hmm. like incubate and yeah. like, I knew that I knew what it was wrong, what was happening to me. But at the same time, like nobody's going to, if I leave, nobody's going to take care of her and nobody's going to deal with her except for me. So you, I can't, I can't let that happen. Mm -hmm. I felt like literally responsible for her life. And I still loved her deeply. I just didn't understand. I was like, it would be great if any day you could wake up and just like make me silver dollar pancakes look like monkeys. Like it yeah, would be right. really good if we could go back to that day, you know, like, so she's <clears> heading up to Mount Zion. So she's heading up to Mount Zion. And she drops me um, off of these two guys and they have a van and they ask me to get in the van and I get in the van because what am I going to do? Like, she's going somewhere. I don't know where. Um, and I was like, am I going to see you again? And she's like, oh yeah, you'll see me again in just a couple of days. I just have to go, you know, God instructed me to do this. And she had all this weird like communion stuff and uh, like, I don't know what she did or where she went, but <laughs> um, <clears throat> what ended up happening was the delusion and my mom said was not what happened um what i think happened and i don't know this for sure i believe that i was sold for sexual purposes um i don't know if there was an agreement i don't know if it was maybe drugs like i, I never saw my mom do any drugs other than smoke cigarettes she smoked 
lots of cigarettes all the time, but I never saw her drink any sip of alcohol. I never saw her do a drug or smoke weed or anything like that. So I don't think it was drugs. I think it was money, but I don't know where the money went that she got from selling me to these guys for six days because I got back to her and we were still, mm-hmm. we didn't have any still money. On the street, we were still right? on the street. Yeah. You know, we didn't have a house to live in because at that point I would have been like, if this was going to, and I was so sick, but I was like, if this is going to get us like it's baby prostitution, you know, like right. if this is going to get us a house and food, okay, like I'll suck it up, you know, right. but it was a very horrific experience as you can imagine, because I'm 13 years old. I didn't know what sex was. I'd never read a book about sex. So I didn't know. I, I knew about body parts and, but it all made me very uncomfortable because I didn't know. I never sure. took a health class. I didn't. Especially at 13. Right. And I, like my first boyfriend was in first grade and like he wanted to kiss me and I ran out the other side of the tires. Sure. I was like, yeah, get away from, you know, like I was not like boy crazy ever even, but like who is in third grade? I don't know. You know, I just yeah. had friends and sang Spice Girls. Like I never had any kind of experience with anything like that. Like uh, my mom wouldn't even let me watch movies that had anybody kissing in them. Like she made me leave the room. Like she was, I, I had no, no, I had no idea what was even happening to me. Um, and that is when I literally like the pivotal moment in my life where I like really like I discovered what rock bottom's basement felt like and what really wanting to die felt like, like actually praying for death, like laying on that dirty mattress in that dark room, spray painted windows on the floor. I literally prayed to die and I was 13 and I was like, I can't because I didn't know at the time it was dark in there I these men were probably in their late 30s early 40s um disgusting um I didn't know if I was ever gonna see her again was I'm just gonna live in this room for the rest of my life you know no the only good thing about it was they like brought me like bags of food they brought me like fast food they'd bring me like Burger King meals and you know and that's where I eventually ended up getting my sick binging food addiction, binging fast food. I've struggled with binge eating my whole life because of the trauma that, you know, this and just not having food when growing up, whatever. So anyway, it was by day three, I was like, really like, I hope I don't wake up. I hope I don't wake up. I just kept praying. Like I was over, like, please just take me home. I grew up in a religious family. I believed I would definitely go to heaven for this happening to me because I don't feel like I deserved it. I was like, take care of my mom, but like, I'm out. Like, please just, I don't want to do this anymore. And I thought about like, I look at the wall and be like, if I run fast enough, do you think that if I like ran headfirst, like a bull into this wall, it would like kill me or crack my skull enough to kill me or knock me out or brain damage me to the point where I don't know what's going on. Cause it was that bad. Like that is what I thought about. And then day three, I realized I was like, I might not survive this, but I can't bash my head into a wall. You know, like, I'm not going to do that. So I just, a big, huge part of me, like, like my emotions, my feelings, my beliefs, my innocence, whatever you want to call it, shut off. I just shut it off. I just got very cold and hard into it. And I turned into stone that day and it became like a game. I'm like, I'm not going to make a sound. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to fight them. I'm, I'm just going to become a complete statue. And that's what I did. And eventually I think they got bored. So in three days, cause I wasn't doing anything. I was just laying there, whatever. Um, and I think in three days they got bored and they gave me back to her. Um, thank God. So they put me back in the van and took me back to her. And so sorry know. that that happened to you. That's- um, so that's when I was like, okay, that can't happen again. Like I cannot do that again. Like that yeah. is, I won't, I don't want to live. Like I will literally go jump off whatever bridge right now. I cannot do that anymore. 
And that's when I started to get really, you know, think about suicide. I started self-harming, cutting myself, cutting my legs, cutting my arms, just to feel something other than this disgust and like mm. worthlessness, right? Like you want the, the emotional pain is so much worse than physical pain. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who self-harm, at least this is my experience. Everyone has different reasons for doing it. Those people who have self-harmed in the past 10 years clean, <laughs> um, but you know, they do it to feel physical pain because the emotional pain and their mental pain and their, their mental strain is so great that the, the physical pain makes it better because that's what they can focus on. Um, and I like to provide that insight to people yeah. because they don't get it. You know, <laughs> it's hard. They don't understand why people, oh, they're attention seeking or, oh, they just, you know, want people to feel, no, like they literally can't deal with their head. So they have to do something physical to make them like, abs- like their nerve and their like brain receptors respond somewhere else like to completely divert what they're feeling. Um, so, and it came natural to me cause I didn't, I never heard about anybody cutting their arms before. Like I, you know, so I just did. And that made me feel better. I started, and that's when I started to write. I wrote a ton of poetry about dying and death and the childhood I wish I had and all this stuff and so who how, she used to be. Yeah. Tell our audience how you eventually got removed from your mother or got away from your mother. Yeah. So she, um, and then that the straw that broke the camel's back was she found all the poetry that I was writing and it was all about death and dying and all this morbid stuff. And, um, she like said, well, if you want to die, I'll kill you right now. Like, cause you're oh. the devil's child. Oh um, wow! She, yeah. And she wrapped her hands around my throat and the woman was very petite. This is not, it's not comical, but it's like those, like, have you seen like, like the, meme with the hand pulling him out and like the little kid like pushing against the hand like yeah. biting like he can't yeah. reach a little person it was like that because my mom was very little and petite she's like five three five four very short and i i was bigger at that point than yeah. her um i'm built like myself mm-hmm. <laughs> did not get my mom's jeans um so like i like she was no threat to my life like she was not but the fact that she was literally going to she, she's gonna kill me right, right like she that was her intention yeah. and i was like I, I, for the first time ever, like I wasn't safe, obviously ever, but the first time ever I was like, I really am not going to make it if I don't do something. And then I thought about my dad and my room at my dad's house and my family and how nice it would be to have a Christmas present this year. And how, you know, I, and I was like, and I was like, F this, like, I'm going home, like I'm going home. So I had, I wrote a letter and I had my friend's mom mail it for me. And within two weeks, CPS found me. And I was in foster care for two months because the courts had to settle. I had to testify against my mom. She still had full custody of me. Mm-hmm. My dad did not right. in Pennsylvania and Florida. Like it was, and then foster care. I don't even have time to tell you about that. Like that is a whole nother nightmare. Right, sure. So two months of that. And then having to testify against my mom in a courtroom, like with her there, they didn't clear it for me. Like it was just so, the whole situation was so traumatic. It was awful. Um, but then I, I was put on a plane. I was sent home. Um, I am thankful for my dad every day. I give him credit for everything I do and the air I breathe because that man pulled me out of the gates hall and he saved my life. Oh. And he gave me the ability to, it didn't make up for what I had lost, but I had a pretty good high school experience. That's good. Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, in college and hearing, you know, everything I'm doing breathing right now is because that man yeah. saved my life. So, you know, you get you get back. You're, you're with your father, and uh, you know paradoxical experience, right? You know night and day, but you got all this stuff. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you've been hurt, you've been damaged. You know, mm-hmm. um, 
And uh, I guess maybe you want to take us to the point to where it kind of shows up later on in life, right? Yeah. 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 I always just wanted to feel normal. I just wanted to forget everything happened. Like, I didn't want that. I didn't ever want a, I never want anybody to find out. B, I never, I didn't, I, I would have never, I never wanted to tell the story ever because I was ashamed of it because I didn't want to feel, I wanted to be normal. I didn't want to feel damaged or broken. Um, I just wanted to have friends and live a normal life. That's all I ever wanted. And so I just did my very best to, forget all of it. Like I literally said, okay, I'm just going to pretend like none of that happened and I'm going to live my life. I went to high school. I was popular. I I mean, I was weird in ninth grade, but I graduated on time with my high school diploma, missing five years of school and everything. I just did it. Um, I was given a lot of opportunities. My family pulled a lot of strings for me, so I'm not taking all the credit, but I did the work. I graduated. I went to college. Mm -hmm. I got accepted college. Like I just tried to forget about it because all I wanted was just to be normal. I wanted to do sports and cheerlead and have friends and talk about stupid boys and drive my car and sip wine coolers, like, you know, yeah, and right. be a delinquent. Like that, I wanted to do that. I didn't yeah. want to think about my past experiences anymore. So I did that for too long, almost. I did that for nine years. <laughs> and um, yeah, it definitely caught up with me. So I ended up getting a phone call in 2008 that my mom had passed away. Um, I left her and she died. And I always said that that would happen. Right. So um, she was found destitute on the streets of Pensacola, Florida, 83 pounds, internally hemorrhaging from medical care that she never got. <laughs> um, so I obviously internalized that. And that was the beginning of my end, my demise. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, because I knew it was going to happen. I knew that if I left her, she wouldn't make it. And she didn't you know, and I internalized that and I blamed myself forever for that. But again, what do I do? I just get through stuff. I just felt like I was just this person who had experienced all this hard stuff to be really strong and just suck it up. And people had told me, like, I've had people tell me to suck it up before. Like, you just suck it up, Brittany, just get over it. Mm. Like, let me just say this on this podcast right now. If you guys don't get anything else from my story other than this awful, heartbreaking trauma, <laughs> Never tell anybody to suck it up because that is not, that is not good advice because that's what I, I did. I sucked it up. And then, um, and on July 17, 2012, I like it got to the point where I just, my head was so full of all these things that I never dealt with. I never processed the trauma. I never talked to anybody about it. I just pretended like it didn't happen, but it did. And Pandora's box just slowly started to crack open because I was struggling with my relationship. I was struggling with my job. I had no reason to be sad, but I was so sad. It was like we were talking about depression and how you don't see it. Yeah, I, I didn't know how to tell anybody. Like, I really don't want to get out of bed. I feel worthless and helpless and hopeless. Like, what, how do you tell somebody that when you have no reason to be sad? Right. I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't, you know, like, I know I could always come to my dad, but like, what am I going to do? Call my dad and tell him I'm sad. Why? What happened? Nothing. I don't know. Like, I have a great life. Yeah. I've right. done awesome stuff. Yeah. Like, why? I don't know. I had no idea. So it got really bad. And like a month, it was like the middle of June. And then by July 17th, I just realized I was just in so much internal anguish. And I was like, why do I feel this way? Like I've suffered enough. I want to be happy. I feel like I'm failing. You know, I failed my mom. I feel like I'm failing at my job. I'm failing my relationship. I'm going to disappoint my entire family. Um, you know, like what? is going to get like, when do I get my happy ending? When do I get there? Like, when is it enough? Like when, like, mm. 
is the piper paid, you know? Um, And then I realized I got very stark and twisty and sick. And I remember this feeling like it was yesterday. It literally is so creepy to me. It's disturbing because I remember feeling so much joy and relief when I realized exactly what I had to do to make it all go away. Right. Well, what was the common denominator in all of these awful things I experienced? Me. So mm-hmm. obviously I'm the problem. Yeah. So it's an elimination Not problem. True. Yeah. Right. I know, yeah, but I, I totally yeah, believe that. I totally yeah. believe that. I did. And so I figured out how to make it all stop. And I really believed. I was like, I bet my mom's in heaven because even though she was so sick, she always talked about the Lord and prayed. And I don't think he would hold it against her for what she did and who she became. Like, you know, maybe... I can just go see her and she's super mom again. Mm. I don't have to feel this awful anymore. I never make it through this without crying. I've told the story a million times. <laughs> I never make it. Um, okay. And I, yeah. So I woke up on July 17, 2012. I kissed my boyfriend goodbye. I made a cup of coffee. I wrote a letter. Then I ripped it up. So I didn't want to be dramatic. Like I'm like, everyone's like, no way is going to miss me. Everybody's going to expect this just because I'm such a pro. Like I hated myself so much. And I, when you hate yourself so much and when you don't have any self-love or self-respect for yourself you can't feel it from anyone else mm-hmm. you can't you gotta love yourself you have to yeah. you have to and I had no self-worth or no love for myself I always had felt damaged and broken so I literally believed that nobody would give a single shit that I was gone and they would just be you know they would get over it and they would move on and it would be fine you know oh poor Brittany she just had a hard life and just never got it together mm. bless her soul and and nobody would be immediately affected isn't that sad yeah that and so sad and how wrong you were right yeah and how much you needed to be here yeah but, uh, yeah so i made a very serious attempt at taking my life i don't know if you want me to share the explicit details or not but i already said the s word so yeah. <laughs> it's no, up to you i don't know what your audience said, we like. said at the beginning of the show that you know i mean it was so overcoming uh loved ones with mental illness and it was overcoming suicide and uh you know, we thank you for your vulnerability that uh, that you're willing to share, you know, so um, you share whatever you want to share. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, I am uh, trigger warning. I'm sure you'll have trigger warnings in your show notes or whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Um, but I put a kitchen knife in my stomach. Um, I impaled myself. Um, so I don't remember much after that. Um, I was, the police broke in my door. Not sure. I don't remember what happened to get them there, but that's what happened. Um, and I was put in an ambulance. I was taken to Packer up here to the hospital, the emergency room. They wheeled me into trauma and they were cutting off my clothes. Cause you know, I had to have a explore. They were prepping me for emergency surgery to see like what was like, if I was able to be salvaged or if something was punctured, they had to fix or whatever. Um, and they were cutting my clothes off me and the surgeon leans over me and he said, honey, is there anybody that we can call for you? And that is when all my lights turned back on and the clarity came back. And it was like, when you're at the um, optometrist and they're like, is A or B, one or two, you know? And it was like, two was the right. And it was like clarity completely. Cause then I, I was like, oh my God, my dad is going to get this phone call. Mm. And I never would ever hurt like anyone intentionally, but I surely have never hurt that man because he suffered a long time because of me, Yeah, you know? worrying about me and he never I mean he is the definition of unconditional love I never have questioned that man day in my life and I was like he does not deserve this this is gonna kill him like he's he's gonna crawl right in here like he's gonna crawl in this grave with me like he he, I don't think he would have survived it I really don't 
and I felt awful, but you know, I, they were prepping me for surgery and they had the mask like ready with the anesthesia. And I was, that was it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Brittany Cooley, you are an overcomer. Um, this I woke up. Yeah, she woke <laughs> up. She's here. And, and there's so much more to the story. Uh, Overcomer Nation, you can definitely expect to hear Brittany Cooley, uh, Strength Personified Part 2. Um, this is a, a personal story uh, from tragedy to triumph. And I think back personally to like when you're in the Barnes & Noble store, and uh, you, as a young person, have uh, not even probably a teenager yet, have this idea that you should have a book someday. And, uh, you know, we have to go through things. You don't go through anything significant unless it's to be a benefit to other people, right? Right, absolutely. And, and so right. you've gone through this and you're here today telling this story on our podcast, sharing your stories and strength personified. Also, we have another book coming out at the end of October, and that is... Uh, Heartache to Healing. It's also Strength Personified, but it's a personal story from Heartache to Healing. Uh, so, uh, Brittany, I, I would like it if you could tell our audience, one, how they can get a hold of those books, and two, how they can follow you and, and get more of you, because I'm sure that there's a lot of listeners out there connecting with this, uh, whether it be for themselves or for someone that they love. So, Yeah, sure. Um, Instagram is my jam. I'm also on the talk, the TikTok. I'm sure you guys know what that is. The app. Um, but I, every, everywhere. Instagram is my jam and I'm on the talk. Oh man, that's great. Uh, I'm also, I know this is very serious, but I'm also really funny. Yeah, that's good. Funny is like my, my trauma response, which is not a bad to one. Reach I out like to Brittany. Part, it's right? not going to be, uh, you know, no, it's going to be fun. Right? I, yeah, I, I'm the most fun. Like, <laughs> well, that's um, part of the triumph, I bet, too. Yes. <laughs> triumph is the humor, I think. Um, but I am the Brittany Cooley on everything. So TikTok, Instagram, um, my Facebook is the Brittany Cooley. Um, and that's and then C-O-O-L-E-Y. Yeah. T-H-E-B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-C-O-O-L-E-Y. Okay. -E um, and then you can also look up Strength Personified because um, I have my own podcast that just launched yesterday. Which hey, is super congratulations. Cool. So and go check out Strength yeah, Personified Podcast. Um, yep. It's on Spotify and um, Apple Podcasts right now. Um, and that I also have an Instagram for that as well. So yeah. Strength Personified or Brittany Cool, you're going to find me somewhere. Uh, I look I forward to connecting with you. Overcomer Nation, now you got to read the book. You got to read the book to find out more about the triumph. And then you're going to have to read the next book to, uh, you know, continue to join Brittany on her journey. Yeah. Uh, Brittany, thank you for being thank an you so overcomer. Much. You are a true I, overcomer. You, thank you for being part of our show today. Thank, thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, Overcomer Nation, go get those books and follow Brittany. Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com. Yeah!